listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey, guys, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and Melissa Taylor. And we're excited today to be interviewing Taffy LaPlanche. Welcome. Hi. Hey. Thanks for having me. We are sitting in your beautiful studio, which is like a lovely space. Yeah. <laughs> she has a gorgeous city market studio. Um, I'm going to introduce you. I read on your website you have some great descriptions about your work. Um, so Taffy is an Afro-Latina portrait artist based in New York and Savannah. She paints unique and vibrant portraits for unique and vibrant people. I love that. Um, can you tell us how long you've had your studio in City Market? Yeah, I've had a studio for a little over a year now. Okay. I moved into the space on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, that's a fun <laughs> time to do anything in Savannah. <laughs> Super fun. Um, but it was like during COVID, so it wasn't at the peak St. Patrick's Day here in Savannah. Yeah. So like I came in it was literally me moving from New York City to Savannah. I had like the U-Haul truck packed up with all my stuff, moved in here first before I even oh. got to the house. Oh, wow. Because wow. I was more excited about like, ooh, I have a studio. <laughs> like, you know, and like came and like unloaded the truck and like put all the stuff in here. And people were like, you were unbelievably lucky to do it on that day. Mm. Because on any other yeah, St. Patrick's funny. Day. That was the last non-St. Patrick's that we had in town. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also, it's kind of neat because it's like my studio anniversary is yeah. a holiday. <laughs> you can always remember that. That's great. <laughs> you know. So it's one of those things where I'm just like, hmm, I'm close for the anniversary. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can celebrate it a week later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everybody, so one thing that you might know from Taffy is that she is the current artist in the windows outside the Jepson. So she has these five large windows outside the Jepson for a full year. I think you have that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're beautiful, large. What, what are the dimensions of those, those oh, portraits? Goodness. They are like five feet by six feet. Okay. Oh. And I noticed because when I was working on them, they were as tall as I am. Yeah. And I'm five eight, so it was just like right at eye level. <laughs> I was like, oh, hi. Yeah. Hugging it like a door. Yes. <laughs> is that the largest you've ever worked on before? It is the largest I've ever worked on. And are they on board or paper or what? They're all on canvas. Okay. Um, and I've been wanting to work large for a long time. Um, even if you see my work now, I think it calls for being on a larger space. Yeah. I'm very just like zoomed into things. <laughs> um, and it's just like, hmm, maybe expand your horizons a little bit. Um, and yeah, I always wanted to work on such a large scale. And it wasn't really until a friend of mine just gave me a large canvas to kind of just go for it. Yeah. I don't know really what was holding me back. Maybe just the price of canvases. <laughs> yeah. Now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but once it was actually in front of me, it was like any blank paper that I see, I have to immediately fill it up. Mm-hmm. So I just had this humongous like yeah. blank piece of paper in front of me. And, yeah, and here we are with five so, big ones. So what kind of challenge does working bigger present, or what, what's, what are the pros and cons to going bigger? Um, you know what? There was a lot of preconceived cons in my head about it. Um, I felt that it was going to be more difficult to figure out like the composition and to basically just have myself because you can't exactly scale down a large canvas you can only scale down yourself yeah in the sense where you now you have to kind of zoom in yourself and like push back a little bit and get on your knees to get like to the bottom of it yeah physically it's a lot it's just a lot of like you're literally the camera in a sense going into the work but I think having it be as tall as I was, it felt the most comfortable. Mm. I felt more comfortable being able to actually have my full range of my body cover like a space versus being on a smaller canvas and feeling like I had to be super close to it to get details. So a lot of the cons actually ended up being pros for myself because yeah. I was able to I guess, comprehend my work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I approach all my work is I kind of do a smaller mock-up beforehand, 
And so to have that and then go to a larger canvas, it made almost immediate sense to me versus having to like grid things out on a smaller canvas. Because yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going from small to large versus going from like small to not too much bigger than kind of what yeah. it's already scaled out Yeah, to you be. can always add more details yeah. to it. Whereas if you're already thinking of too much and it needs to get smaller, you need to subtract things, which is not as much fun. Not as much fun. Yeah. Well, because you just recently started working bigger too, Tamara. And yeah. did you have the same kind of preconceived notions about like what it was going to be like to get bigger? I had this. It was funny also. I, I had for years and years been working at kind of the same scale and then Exactly what you mentioned. I, one day, Blick was having a huge... It was like a Black Friday where all their canvases were literally 70% off or something. And I like woke up early and went to Blick and bought a bunch of huge canvases and brought them home. And then started working on them. And I had always just been nervous that I just like wouldn't be able to do it for some reason. And I just decided to like apply the same kind of materials and techniques I was doing. But I put them on the ground and I had to put them in the back side, in the backyard because they were so big for my house and just work on them outside. And... It was really fun, and once I was doing it, physically it was great, and I was, like, stepping around the four sides of it and working, but, yeah, it was exactly what you mentioned, like, the price, the the intimidation of the price of working big, and just, yeah, the intimidation of, like, well, your ideas look still look good, scaled up. Yeah, and it's even, you know, even for those who stretch their own canvas as well, that's still, like, a large yeah. thing to do, and I know a lot of people kind of run into the thing where it's like, all right, well how much gesso am I now going to need yeah. to prime, like, this large amount of space? And you still need to buy, like, the wood frame, and you need to yeah. have the surface to stay, to, like, nail all that together. So it's a you still lot. need a lot of space. But I, I say for anyone who wants to do it, just go for it. Yeah. Like, it ends up being a lot more freeing when you're physically doing it than mentally kind of holding yourself back. It was fun. And I found it, and I liked that in the days after I was working on it, I would be sore as if I'd worked out because I was doing a lot of <laughs> yeah. crawling and bending and stretching. All my back is... <laughs> <laughs> would you, when you were working on those, would you put them on the floor in here and do them or on the easel? Were they upright on your easel? I specifically brought this easel because of that project. Okay, wow. Because um, the first one that I did, I had it on the floor. And it wasn't so much like the top and middle part that was giving me issues. It was just the very bottom. So just like, and that, those pieces were done in charcoal. So it was literally me like on the ground in charcoal because they're so big. So all the charcoal from the top was starting to like mm -hmm. pour down. Oh. So like the floor was just like a line of just charcoal dust. <laughs> and like, yeah. I had to get like a little hand vacuum so that every day I would just like vacuum up our oh my charcoal God. <laughs> And you're looking at all the material and you're like, bye bye charcoal. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> ooh, sad days. Um, but literally just like on hands and knees, like in charcoal. And it looked like soot, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, and kind of like laying down just to do like one strip of like charcoal line on the bottom. And those were the darkest parts of the whole entire drawing too. So it was a lot of pressure to kind of just like right. be on your back and then like use yeah, your hand to like press really the hard. charcoal on. Um, so after that moment, I was like, all right, I need something to lift um, these works up because I got four more to go. Yeah. Um, and ended up getting this... Um, easel off of Amazon that holds up to 90 feet so like the top part can go all the way up wow um and it's 360 so you can wheel it around you can lay it flat so anytime that I have to go to the bottom parts of it I would just lay it flat and do it do it that way amazing um but oof yeah it's a work of art the easel honestly <laughs> probably saved me a lot of money on medical bills I would have gone through for like physical therapy and like chiropractic my lower back because yeah. that first one was a lot yeah you learn a lot so were those one. pieces created specifically for the windows they were um I didn't have any of it done when I had proposed for um being in that space and it was a space where when I first moved here I had saw um one of the exhibits in there and had envisioned what I would create if I were ever to be in a space like that. And when the open call came to my desk, I actually ended up not going with that idea. And the original idea was gonna be like sheets of Duralar paper that each sheet had like individual things, but from far away you saw an entire scene. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted it to be charcoal-based or graphite-based. I knew I wanted to go back to drawing. Um, and I had actually started a sketchbook when the proposition um, opened up. 
And the sketchbook was really meant for me to fill it up completely. I was like, I'm going to do a really cute, like, cohesive story. And when you open it up, it's like a mini gallery. And I was like, finally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally complete a sketchbook. Um, two sketches in. <laughs> and this was back in, I think, like, November. Maybe it's still only two sketches. Um, the, the first sketch in it actually was um, what ended up being the last painting in that series at the Jepson Center. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but when I was reading the proposal and the requirements for it, it was like, okay, you have six windows. Um, five of them can be a work of art and then one can be an explanation panel. And I was like, who? I'm like, look, I'm like, I'm reading it and I'm seeing the sketches like open up next to me. And I'm just like, I feel like you need to be bigger. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, that's one. Yeah, And then I was like, ooh, I need at least four to five more. Um, and it was really just diving into the symbolism with that sketch piece. Um, I had noticed that I was adding a lot of skeletons to things. And I was trying to figure out, like, all right, well, what do skeletons mean? Because for me, I was like, I just like skeletons. I'm <laughs> practically a Halloween baby. So I was just kind of <laughs> like, I just like how they look. Um, but I was being a little bit more cautious about it in the sense that if someone were to look at it, what they were going to get just based off the visuals of it. Um, and that's kind of what helped me get into a concept and come up yeah. with more pieces for it. And, and then and the concept of sense, it's the relationship between healing, dance, and voodoo. And then also your thoughts from the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, when I was doing this whole Google dive of what do skeletons mean, um, I found something that said that skeletons, specifically like white skulls, represented healing and rebirth within Haitian voodoo. Oh. And there was kind of a light that went off because I was like, oh, people always think that I do voodoo just because I'm half Haitian. It's like the one thing that they immediately just kind of goes into their mind. And I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> about, I was like, I'm like, yeah, sure. At this point, I just, I'm like, mm, yeah, cool. Just lean into it. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, sure. Um, and I was like, well, let me kind of like dive into this whole healing aspect of it because I've never heard that side of it. I've always heard just like death, destruction, and like the other side and curses and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, well, let me see. Let me see what people are saying about it and kind of dive into it a little bit more. Um, and ended up finding this dance ritual that's done in order to release bad energy, in order to kind of move on to a better part of your life, but you have to face basically all the negativity that you've held in in order to do so. Um, and there was this kind of beautiful juxtaposition of that and kind of what we've been kind of trying to heal from the pandemic and whatnot. And I thought, well, that's something. Um, and still kind of just coming from a place where, again, like I don't know, anything about it mm -hmm. but just kind of interpreting it as my own yeah yeah how long did it take you to so you you do the application and you kind of have an idea of what the series is going to be but then you have to sit down like you you got the gig and then you have to sit down and do all the pieces and do how all the pieces long did that like were you rushing at the end to make the deadline or how, how did that go no it was so weird because like I had I had done like really quick digital mock-ups of kind of where I wanted it to go and only two of them ended up being changed in the end um, and that's what I had sent with my proposal because I didn't have any of the works done and so when I got it I was like okay I have four months I think it was like four or five months to make them in time for the deadline because um, at the time I was already working on I liked the idea enough to get started on one because I was like even if I don't get it this is something that I'm very passionate about and I still yeah. want to do so so that first experimental one you were already working on yeah so I was yeah. already like I was I already had one pretty much done um by the time I had gotten accepted for it so I was like okay I have four more pieces to do yeah it was four more pieces in four months that's what it was um and I was like okay if I just do one piece per month that I can do it. Yeah. And then you buy your amazing easel. Yeah, and then I got the easel. <laughs> and I I don't know. I didn't even feel like I was rushing through it. It just felt like it just flowed out of me. And I think, too, it was me getting back into a medium that I truly love, which is charcoal, and having that familiarity and that comfortability with it. 
And I knocked out, yeah, it was just like every month I had knocked one out. That's great. And it took maybe a total of, I worked on it every weekend. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight days for each one. Okay. Um, but like I said, it was just something that felt so natural. I was very passionate about the project. So mm-hmm. I just, I got into that weird flow. Yeah. And it just, it just worked out. I did want to ask, so there's special considerations with, since they're in windows and there's, you know, sun beaming on them mm-hmm. all day and charcoal, like you said, is difficult. It flakes off. Can you talk about like what kind of fix- fixatives and what archival yeah. processes you do to give help for people who also maybe want to work on things outside and need oh, ab- tips? Absolutely. Because there was so much research going into that because the way that my works are, you have the charcoal, but then you have this acrylic paint that's painted over it. Mm. Um, and you don't want the paint to push around the charcoal lighter when you're doing it, because then you're just left with doing multiple layers of that. It just makes it like sludge. Right? Yeah. It, right. Well, especially when you're painting white yeah. over like charcoal and you yeah. need it to be pristine. Um, and so I didn't want to like super seal the charcoal where now the charcoal was mixing into the sealant and having that smear all over the place because it's like once it's there, it's there. Like mm-hmm. I can't fix it sealed. Um, so I went in with a sprayable fixative that fights against, like it kind of protects against UV rays and whatnot. Um, it was like an archival, I believe it was golden archival like matte spray because I know I wanted it to be a matte finish at the end of the day, because I wanted it to still look like that kind of chalky paint from, like, voodoo use. Um, and then it was just layers, layers of that. Okay. Um, it's probably, I'm probably, like, half archival spray. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> spraying it in and all. Did you do that in here? In the I room? did it in here. Okay. I had all the windows open, yeah. the air filter. You're just getting high, high from this. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd go home and be like, why? my brain all like fuzzy and I'm like oh man it's just you know um so make sure you have a good air circulation going yeah. through it but it would, I like I would go in I would spray it I let it sit for a day come back in spray it again and I would do that like yeah. three days in a row of just spraying just close it. the door and run yeah <laughs> and I would just like I would have that like kind of sit and go through with the paint and then again more coats of just that spray um, and then once I was able to touch it without much of the charcoal smearing over me, then I knew it was okay to go in with a, um, with a varnish to kind of just seal it up completely. So I went in with a, um, I think I went in with like a matte Liquitex kind of satin clear finish to it. Um, when I get the works back, however, I'm debating if I want to go over it with satin. But I got to see how I feel when they when they yeah. come see back. See how they age. Yeah, they're up for. Is it a whole calendar year? A whole calendar okay. year. So that's well, interesting. When I go, when they come back to me, and there's any touch-ups that I got to do, I'll kind of yeah. debate it. Go from there. I feel they're like, like, like a one living, more. Yeah, the living like, beings. They're changing over time. <laughs> I'm like, just one more. Just one more. You know, they're, they're my boys, and it's like you know, mom's got to protect you. Like, I need one more, <laughs> one more layer. Yeah. One more layer. Um, but just like oh yeah, a lot of a lot of fixative, and then like. If you're like me and you're neurotic and you want to make sure that it's super sealed, then yeah. go in with another like varnish. But <laughs> yeah, once it's like not able to kind of move around. Reminding of was it what's that movie? Is it Animal House where it's like double secret probation or something? <laughs> like double 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 sealed. Um, I wanted to kind of transition and talk about your your work in general that you do in your studio. Um, so reading from your website, you have Las Frutas is a series of paintings showcasing those who get judged solely based on their skin and who they are as a person despite that. The vibrant fruit backgrounds represent not only their culture, but the vibrancy of the subject themselves. And then you said, this I thought was amazing, I make fun and unique portraits for fun and unique people because oftentimes people don't find themselves to be either. So that was a very profound statement. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to that? Yeah. Um, as a portrait artist, you're constantly trying to find like faces. It's what you do. Um, and I like drawing people from life, either people that I've just met or people who are complete strangers to me, and it's just telling those stories. And at the end of the day, you need someone's permission in order to just draw their face, unless it's on some type of public domain. And a lot of times, I was running into the issue of like, oh, 
but like I'm not pretty enough to be in a portrait or like oh I don't know what kind of like references I should send like I'm not comfortable in any of the things I do or people just be like oh like I don't think that I have an interesting enough story to kind of be presented and yeah. I'm just like um, a lot of self-deprecation from lot. people yeah and you know for for me I'm just like you're a person you got something to tell like mm-hmm. no matter what it is um and I'm more interested in your version of yourself and kind of bring that to the best light possible, not only for you, but for also other people who may look at you and try to have them see you how you see yourself versus how you might think people are going to view you just based off of other factors. Yeah. Um, Do and you I sit with someone for a little while and try to, like... I do. Like you're chatting with them and getting getting an idea of what how you want to present them? I do because it's it's one thing to capture someone's likeness. I think that through all of my art school training and just technical skills I can I can do that on whim. Um, but it's another thing to really capture someone's essence. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I want them to look at it and be like, it's me, not because it looks like them, but because it captures the energy of the person that they are. It more feels like them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and just talking to them and kind of getting a base of that really drives how the color palette's going to go for mm-hmm. it, how, you know, how I basically just present them mm-hmm. overall. And I think with, and that's in general with how I approach portraits, but specifically with Las Frutas, um, I wanted each of the people that I chose for it to choose their fruit backgrounds mm-hmm. because I can choose it just because of an aesthetic yeah. you know, thing and they'd be like, oh, but like pomegranates look really cool. Mm-hmm. I did not do pomegranates and I really wanted to do pomegranates. I'm throwing it out there. Waiting for someone to choose pomegranates. <laughs> I really wanted to do pomegranates. <laughs> I had like, a, I had a kick-ass background for pomegranate. That's a complicated fruit to depict. It is. That is maybe the most complicated, right? Yeah. Assuming you're like, doing it open and not close. But I, I love like tedious details of things and so I was like, I was excited for it but yeah. no one chose pomegranates. <laughs> um, so, but it was, so just... For everyone listening, still looking for so, Robert <laughs> really I was actually going to ask you how you decided on the fruit for yeah. each person. So it was, you know, cool. when I had first started the series, it was more about um, me and how I connected to my, like, cultural background versus how other people expected me to act based on that. And passion fruit is something that always reminds me of um, just... Not necessarily back at home because I grew up in New York, but it reminded me of the tales that my parents told me about growing up in their islands. And so I had put passion fruit in the background of the first one. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, I was kind of like, okay, but what fruit reminds you of home or reminds you of your culture and whatnot? And that actually was literally the driving force of everyone opening up about things and making Lost Fruit just become a series. And it was the simple question of like oh like what what's your favorite fruit or what fruit reminds you of home mm-hmm. in a sense and that kind of just opened up a array of it and that's why the series was called Lost Fruit Does because yeah. it's literally like it's literally the fruits but also like the fruits of like you know your ancestors and the fruits yeah, of yeah. that you kind of, kind of put forth have you whatnot. painted your parents at all? uh that one over there, which I know you can't see, <laughs> um, essentially my very first portrait painting that I did is of my mom. Uh, that was done, or started, I should say, back in the early 2000s, still has yet to be completed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that's difficult for me because I know her so well, I know her face so well, and it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm at the point where I'm trying to get the painting to catch up to where she is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have them be a part of this series. Honestly, I don't know why. I think it's because I wanted the series to be more based off of people that I didn't know, to kind of have that non bias like opinion of them mm-hmm. when I approached it. Yeah. Um, I think I only really had one close friend, which is her, um, which is the last one in the series right now, in it. Um, but everyone else, it, it just, 
allowed for more of an open dialogue at the end of the day. My parents get free art from me all the time when I just sketch them, so they're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next My next series does touch base more on, like, my mom a little bit, so that'll be kind of, like, not her directly, but yeah, parts Let's of her. her. I think it's interesting how you, you almost have these two really different styles where you have the paintings with the fruits that are very colorful and pop art and this, like, repeating pattern of the fruits, and then you have these, like, very academic, detailed charcoal drawings of the heads. Do you have this sort of, these two very different styles that you like to, you almost like to alternate doing them? A very different. Um, and I think it's one of those things where with charcoal and pencil, because it's smaller in a sense, I have more sense of control to kind of get in a little bit deeper with things. Um, and it was something that I academically studied for so many years that when I transitioned to painting, it was more just me and things that I was learning on my own. So I had more of the creative kind of like free flow process of it. And I like having that because I like being able to be like, oh, hey, I'm like super skilled in this thing, but I'm also can just have my creative freedom with this. And I think with um, Numb that I had just finished, those are the, it, the windows of the Jetsons. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was rewarding for me because I was able to combine both of those things together. That's true, mm-hmm. yeah. And I felt like it was more like, more showing the whole range of what I can do. Yeah, like both styles incorporated into that one series. Yeah. That's cool. I felt like that when I, I used to just, I was always working on smaller pieces of paper and it was that old-fashioned pen that you dip into the ink jar and it's very tight and precise. And then, you know, when I started going bigger, I was kind of like doing the, the same type where it was like splashes combined with lines but it wasn't ever just tiny pen lines like the line was a paintbrush so it was still it was a thicker line so it was funny to scale up like that and to have nothing about it be that tight and that specific was like a new thing to break out yeah. of and it felt really it was great it felt really fun sometimes you kind of have to just like draw away all the rules <laughs> yeah yeah and, and just see what what's going to be done. And I don't know about you, but I got to kind of this point where I thought like, well, that's how I describe myself. This is my bio is that I am a pen and ink artist and I have these tiny details. And so you get to where you're like, can I change in this way? And then how do I describe my own art and what does it become? And yeah, you just have to, it's interesting having to transition over time. Yeah. I think in general, just as people, you're always constantly trying to find ways to improve, right? And you really can't if you just stay within your own box Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to try new things because hey you may be fantastic and it may be your new favorite thing yeah or you may absolutely suck at it (laughs) and you may hate it forever but at least you learn from it yeah at least you know and nine times out of ten the things you hate are what other people like so you never know yeah and it can be hard oh I'm sorry oh well I I was just gonna ask have you always focused on portraiture is that where where you're passion was initially um it's where it was initially and it I kind of went back into discovering that's what my passion was Mm -hmm. the entire time I actually started with landscaping um when I was doing painting and it was more because I was told that I should do landscapes um versus me actually liking it I ended up hating landscapes it wasn't something that I was terrible at I was actually really good at doing landscapes but I had no I had no feeling for it at mm-hmm. the end of the day for me I was just like making copies of landscapes um I had no emotional connection to it I was just kind of like all right here's a field um and it wasn't until um which I know a lot of you have heard the story before but it's a crazy story um I had went to Italy to study landscape painting because I was like, all right, well, maybe if I see things in life versus things from a photo reference, I'll have more of that, like, want and connection to it. Um, And when I went to actually do, like, the first live one of it, got stung by a bee, (laughs) couldn't see the landscape. Literally, like, the universe was just like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice plan, but no. Yeah, kind of like, oh, that's cute. Um, yeah, I got like stung by a bee. This old Italian woman just like comes from the abyss of nothing and like takes me to her house, puts an onion on my eye because she's like, oh, like cry it out, like the venom will come out. And it was really me sitting there contemplating what I was doing. 
and having her kind of like go about her day where I kind of was just like I want to like I want to draw that lady and like what she's about like I don't know the only thing I understood her was house and onion <laughs> out of the entire process but I'm more interested in this than the field of sunflowers that I was just in and it was really kind of that weird like switcheroo moment in life that the universe kind of right yeah. it was like Haha, yeah. you're allergic to bees but <laughs> but you found your calling yeah. <laughs> but portraits is what you should it's be like doing. the cheese sandwich leading to penicillin yeah right? exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think this is a good time we will go take a, a little break and have some station announcements you are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to wruu.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey, welcome back. This is Tamara and Melissa. We're here with Taffy LaPlanche. She is an Afro-Latina portrait artist based in both New York and Savannah. Um, Taffy, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you have this big, beautiful space in City Market, and I know you mentioned a little bit how you're working on displaying the art in here. It's brick walls. So can you talk a little bit about the <laughs> physical challenges of installing? Oh, inst- installing how? Because yeah, <laughs> yours uh, is the only studio that didn't come with kind of it's like hanging apparatus and bars? Yeah. So when I got in here, um, what first drew me to the studio was the exposed brick walls. It actually it reminded me of um, the place I grew up in in New York. It looks exactly like it. Yeah. So it was this instant sense of belonging, and I didn't think of the hanging process <laughs> so much. I was just like, aesthetic, um, and kind of went for it. And then when it was time to start hanging pieces up, um, my New York City lack of tools kind of self was like, huh, well, I can either get a bunch of Velcro strips and hope for the best. Oh. <laughs> just create very light art. Yeah, you know, because heat doesn't exist in... Savannah. (laughs) Things won't just like melt off eventually. Totally fine. Um, And I was like, okay, well, there's like kind of cracks in the bricks, and there's all these nails that are just there, which I think was just left over from previous owners. Um, But it was just like a wall of brick and nails. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can I can do something with this. (laughs) And so it was literally just like finding the perfect like stable brick. To put a nail in. Right, in these hundred-year-old bricks. Yeah, and then, you know, just hope for the best. So it's literally like a nail and a prayer. <laughs> it's it's or nail. hoping the, the leftover nails work exactly right for what you want. Yeah, for the sizes. <laughs> it, you, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, if you want to put a painting here, 
it might not be so in that funny. exact spot, <laughs> yeah. but you got to have to, you know. And so it was a lot of just constantly rearranging things, not because of where I wanted to place it, but where it was going to be the most stable yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. And it's like, and just letting it be. And surprisingly, it's all held up. Is there anybody you know, so who you're renting from in City Market? Is that any part of what you get? Do they help at all with things like that with installations? Some, some things. I had inquired about a gallery hanging bar a while ago. Here we are. And that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, they mostly just leave it up to each artist to work it out. Yeah. Okay. There's, you know, whatever's kind of like left in the studio or that's kind of already attached to the studio space so help out with so like um like lighting or like heat and things like that or um if there's something that happens with like the windows or the floor they'll yeah. like I'll they'll yeah, give me like extra brown paint to kind of like fix the floor and things like that so yeah. they do help out with things that are really kind of included in the space um but it's really up to the artist how they want to go about displaying things yeah. And you said most of the artists in here are hanging 2D like paintings, but you just happened to inherit a studio from someone who had ceramics, so there yeah, was not there was already this apparatus. <laughs> there was, you know, yeah. none of that. And so, a, a, um, a unique challenge. You know, it's also finding the right drill for these kinds of bricks Yeah. at the same time. So if there is a lovely handyman out there who wants to hang up a gallery hanging bar for yeah, a very is, nice lady. I'm sure a lot of people in Savannah like doing kind of pop-up shows and in yeah. unique spaces is a thing you're going to come up against. Right. So. But like once I got that, oh, it's over guys. <laughs> well then, do you also have to be careful too because it is historic about making sure that you're not damaging it. Yeah. 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 And I'll I, like, I know exactly, like, where I would want to place it to, but it's also, like, you see kind of where, like, those pipes are. I got to make sure that if you drill it in, it's not going to drill into the pipes. Right. And things like that, too. Um, so it's a lot of, like, little things where if I were to approach it on my own, I'd come from a super novice point of it, and I don't want to right. damage things more so. Yeah. A lot to think about. Yeah, there is a... This Looking around, it is a unique challenge. Yeah, in here. it is. There's like you said, it's, yeah, it's very New Yorky looking with the the pipes and the bricks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. And like, I love how it looks, but I would also love <laughs> to have something that can carry, you know, like heavier paintings right. and things like that. And right. I'll, like, we'll find a solution as life goes on. Um, but for the time being, it's working. Good old, good old rusty nails and bricks is, uh, <laughs> is what we're at. Can you talk a bit on your website? You have this is very interesting. You have an option where people can book a studio tour, and it's um, thirty minutes of you showing them around the space. Uh, you say current works and upcoming works will be shown. You'll give an insight into your creative journey and inspiration, and then people can like look at your calendar and book a time with you, which is cool. Can you talk a little bit about like like? As you've been doing more and more of these tours, have you had to change up what you offer people and how it's going just based on feedback? Yeah. Um, you know, I have kind of my standard way of how I want to do it, where it's more like, okay, here's some previous works. Here's works in progress. There's always works in progress in the studio. My ideas are overflowing right now, <laughs> which is great. Um, and really having that one-on-one time to really get to know the process behind the works and not only hearing about it but physically seeing it at work as well um and then I have all these sketchbooks again none of them completely filled. um I'm the same yeah but it's I think looking at sketchbooks is such a unique inside of the artist's mind at the end of the day because you can see them trying to work it out mm-hmm. um, so I like people to kind of just come and just pick a random like my whole library shelf there half of it is sketchbooks um, and I like people coming in and just picking like a random one and I don't know what it's going to be that day mm-hmm. and kind of like walking them through like where uh, my ideas nice. were back then but kind of where they are now and going through that has shown me how a lot of my old ideas are now resurfacing to my newer works and it's something that I don't really think about right away but it's interesting to be like oh I guess that was something that was within me all these years yeah, and now yeah. have finally found a way to kind of like unlock that Some things have to like percolate in your yeah. brain for a long time so so yeah. now when I do the tours if I see that someone's particularly interested in a very specific piece or a very specific series I 
will guide them more toward that sketchbook that kind of had similar ideas versus mm -hmm. like having them just pick a random one because now I can make more of a connection to that story and the piece that they have a little bit more yeah. um, of a likeness to mm -hmm. at the end of it. Um, this seems nice. I feel like you're doing a real public service slash art education for people because people might not always realize how much work goes into fine art and maybe they think yeah. it's like this magic thing and yeah and pretty like easy and you know how long the process is like you were saying that you have these sketchbooks from you know years ago where you were working things out and that's what's coming out in your work today so like yeah. like just how long the process can be sometimes for yeah. yeah, I would think that could be really surprising to the average person who maybe hasn't had art in elementary school in that sense at all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's um, the studio visits are more just to kind of have that like extra insider look to the artist. And I've catered it more so to be more focused on that aspect of it versus the whole like sales pitchy mm. kind of part of it. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, my studio's open for people to kind of like walk in and see the stuff that I sell and whatnot, but not so much have that like one-on-one -on -one with the artists because I'm constantly like working and like selling and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I just like it to be a little bit more like intimate yeah, you've blocked out time for that. Yeah, I see you have a whole uh, collection of cameras, which is cool. Is that are you working with them? I used to. Yeah. Um, so that was the that was the break that I took away from doing um, portrait art. I kind of. When I was in college, um, I just wanted to try something different. I kind of was just like, oh, everyone knows me. I was like the portrait artist. Like, I want to do photography and like say goodbye to painting and whatnot. So I had, uh, I majored in photography and I really wanted to do photojournalism. Um, and I really loved film cameras. I loved being able to get different parts of film cameras and building them together. There was something about that extra creative process of it and like being in a dark room and going through all the steps to like make it perfect and yeah. still having that margin of error mm -hmm. almost and you know just kind of going through the motions of all that I really liked the hand motions of all of that um, and really got into photography and then actually once I went into the industry a little bit ended up not liking it as much <laughs> as I thought I was um, but I was traveling a lot too, and so I was able to get camera parts from different parts of the world and things oh. like that, that I ended up getting a really cool camera collection. Yeah. Um, I'm at the point now in my life where is it something I want to go back to? Maybe more as a hobby kind of thing. What I would love to do with them is start a camera rental program, especially for like the art kids around here oh. who, mm. are, who want to get into film. Mm -hmm. and whatnot but it's more just the logistics of like what if my camera gets damaged yeah, yeah. Right. and all yeah, that kind of stuff I'm just like because mm. yeah. they are like very important pieces to me because it's like I, I built all of them yeah. except for the um, Dina camera but everything else I built um I know there's that there's it's cool there's still is that that shop Bay Camera in Habersham Village where mm -hmm. you can go and I guess I don't know you buy cameras or they can fix them or they're developing film or whatever but yeah. um yeah, is there, is there anywhere in town where people can, are there like darkroom spaces where people can pay in and do that? I don't do that? know. And that's, cool. why, that's what I'm also kind of looking myself to. Yeah. And um, I know like now you can even just develop your negatives and then scan them and work on them digitally too, which is also kind of like a nice oh. alternative if yeah. you can't find like a dark a room. Mm -hmm. But there's just something about a dark room that, yeah. you know. I remember what, I had that in high school. We had, yeah. did you have that too? Yeah. With the trays yeah. of chemicals and mm -hmm. everything? We had like yeah. a, we had a bathroom that used to be the storage for band. And then they converted it into a dark room. Aww. So like for the, first tiny. Half, for the first half of it, it was just like a random like trombone just like in the corner <laughs> as we're like rolling film and like in the dark. <laughs> and we're like, oh, what is that? Um, and it's like the bathroom stall. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> high school um, budgets are fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. I remember the, I missed also the, the hand motion of like, like putting your hands in that black bag and unspooling the film onto the, oh. what is it called? The canister? Mm -hmm. Tough to get it. In. Yeah. Oh, we had like, we made an assembly line after yeah. a while <laughs> of it because like some of us were just really bad at rolling it perfectly around the thing. Other people were bad at like pulling the thing out, like exposing it to it. So we got to a point where we were in the same room with the same people, 
and we were like, okay, you do this, you do this, and it was <laughs> yeah. like, you were in the dark, and so you're like, you do your thing, and you kind of like, skills. the next person, and, like, and it was like, the perfect role every single yeah. time, because yeah. we just were like, all right, let's get the skill set, let's make an assembly line. <laughs> That's actually pretty genius. Yeah, right? I was like, you just made our whole little business right there. <laughs> There's, there's so many points along that line of like developing the film where if you mess anything up, then the the role is ruined. That was it. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy how many fail points there are. Well, yeah. like we would we would go and like when we got to reveal like the the negatives and stuff, see, saw everyone's mistakes and where they were, and then we were offering like tips, and then we were just like, wait, you're really good at like this thing. Like, why don't you just do that oh. and forget <laughs> about everything else that you're bad at, and then this person who's good at it will do that part. <laughs> and it was like. I want to give a, a shout out to my friend Meriwether who has a degree in photography and when we lived in New York we would sometimes go to the movies and like sneak in a bottle of wine and she could be in the pitch black and she could just like do the wine cork and get it out in the black because she was used to unspooling yeah, the film yeah. in the dark in that See, black bag. Art school, All these skills. Yeah. <laughs> Those are life skills that are life right? skills. Yeah. Art, art skills to, you know, yeah. priorities. Ten years life. later, you'll be uncorking wine in the pitch black. When, 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 if you're thinking about going to art school and your parents are like, what skills will you learn for life? Yeah, <laughs> let me tell actually. you. <laughs> nothing's worse. <laughs> Full disclaimer. <laughs> Do not use this. Um, I wanted. I didn't even mean to, but I wanted to transition into talking about how you are half in New York as well as Savannah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how it's been to integrate into the art scene in New York? It's it's interesting because I I'm originally from New York, so it was really more the opposite of me, like transitioning to the art scene here. Because with New York, I was already used to the whole approach of you go to galleries, you meet curators, you kind of figure out who's in with certain people in that scene, like figure out who you have to network to. Which neighborhoods were you going to for this? Uh, I was going to like Chelsea and Tribeca and Soho, the whole, you know. The classic. The whole bohemian (laughs) art scene, you know, um, which was which was fantastic for me. Um, And it was really learning from other artists how you should approach those kind of people. Um, Because I had my own idea of like, you know, you just go into your portfolio and you're just like, hey, I'm an artist, (laughs) look at myself. Um, And kind of just learning to tweak that to figuring out like, all right, well, who curates and chooses the art for that particular space? who's constantly there looking over the space, who's picking, you know, who's picking what for what shows and yada yada. And really doing the research of seeing what kind of work was being chosen and figuring out the why versus the what so much. Um, And just having a genuine conversation with those people as fellow art lovers, not really approaching it as like, hi, I'm an artist, you're a curator, what can you do for me, what can I do for you? But just being like, hey, we both like art, this is why we appreciate it, this is why I do what I do, why do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. And then coming to a common ground and figuring out those things made conversations like, oh, like how can I go about showing my art a little bit more genuine and you've already formed that honest connection before even getting yeah. to the business side of it. It's interesting because I think most people wouldn't imagine that in New York where people are so busy in times of the up in essence that it would be this much of like this much one-on-one time and dialogue. Like yeah. That. yeah. And I think it's just showing that you're interested. It's, it's like dating in a way where you kind of have to show that you're interested in someone before you expect them to be immediately interested mm-hmm. in you. Yeah. In that aspect, and it's it's very much a like, hey, like, how can I benefit from you? But how can you benefit yeah, from me? Totally. And having building building those partnerships so that they can last, mm-hmm. and that people want to invest and showcase for you. And I think New York, the difference between New York and Savannah was New York was more on that larger scale where you're not really indirect with the collector you're more indirect to the people who are representing you to make you reputable as an artist for collectors whereas savannah it's more that connection instantly with your collector and having them invest based on the person that you are Mm -hmm. and based on what pieces connect with them so you're kind of acting more as that curator Mm -hmm. in a sense and that like artist collector for somebody for your own self 
Um, so on your website, you've also been a part of virtual exhibitions. What is that like, and how, how does that process evolve? Yeah, virtual exhibitions were just so huge within the last couple of years, and mainly because of the pandemic. I think people were used to going to a physical gallery and having the whole opening with like champagne and hors d'oeuvres and having the artist there and talk that once COVID happened and it was like you couldn't be in crowds, there was really no way to go about that. Um, and you also had the whole NFT space really kind of opening up a little bit more too. So there was a lot of just technology and art and that partnership with each other becoming something that was coming to light. And a lot of people were starting to get familiarized with creating like a gallery space virtually that you can still go and attend and physically see where all the paintings would be in an actual space. But on top of that, actually having artist talks, like actually having a Zoom call where you can still physically see each other. And as you're basically doing a tour throughout this virtual space, once you got to that like artist piece, be able to talk to them one-on-one about oh, it. That's nice. Um, and it felt like the only thing that was missing was just being in a physical space. Like mm-hmm. you can still have your bottle of wine <laughs> in your yeah. Zoom meeting and, you know, and go through it. Um, and I think it really just opened up that want for art and wanting to see art during that time and continuing that. And it also allows for me to have shows that aren't in my state. Like I had a virtual gallery show in London, you know, and now I can be like, oh, I showed internationally, like on the computer, but in the sense it was still like, you know, in London and it draws all different kinds of crowds, um, which is really cool. And it's, at the end of the day, it's really on the gallery owner and the person who's running those virtual shows and how they're advertising and how they're getting that out there. Because it can be virtual, but then you have an article in like their local newspaper or something that talks about it, and now mm-hmm. you're bringing more eyes to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the most successful thing about it is that if it runs for a certain length of time, you can always come back and view it. But if you go for like the opening, per se, then you get that chance to talk to the artist. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about it, too, is that a lot of them have integrated like marketplaces with the virtual gallery so as you're going through it if you click on it you can actually go to that artist page and see how you can like purchase that particular artwork okay so i mean i'm not tech savvy one <laughs> bit so i can never figure out things like that so whenever i see things like that happen i'm like wow this is ingenious yeah yeah the um, galleries earned their fee yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's awesome i think it's yeah. it's a really cool way to get your stuff out there at a faster pace Mm -hmm. absolutely um and then also have your piece shown in multiple places at once versus having it physically somewhere and then being like oh there's an open call for another gallery but i put all my stuff in like this one space now you can like virtually show it on different platforms yeah that's cool well, we have a couple of questions that we like to ask yes, everybody. Yes. This is our inside the actor studio <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, it's like the hot seat moment. Yeah, yeah. So, where we are both James James Lipton. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask if you were walking on the street and you're alone and you've got your theme music playing in your head to beef you up as you walk around, what would be your song that you like? Oh, to boost you up. What would be my song to boost me up? Um, Lately, it's been "Fantasy" by Mariah Carey. Okay. <laughs> nice. It's that. It's that like kind of like jam in the background. That um, Mariah Carey just screams "Summer" to me. Right? It's just fun. It's just yeah. like it's a, it's an uplifting like yay <laughs> kind of song. Love that. So yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, what one person in your field do you feel has been the most influential on your work? Ooh, Lisa Butler. That was a quick answer. <laughs> yeah, <Damn. it> was, <laughs> <laughs> that's the quickest answer we've had for that. That was a quick answer. But like, I'll, I'll stick with it. That was my intuition. Um, I feel like she wasn't even someone who was on my radar, mm-hmm. and I didn't even see commonalities of it until I physically saw her work. And I have heard about her before and how she does these very vibrant quilted works, um, which 
I'm always into artists who are doing something not in my medium mm -hmm. um, because it allows me to open up my mind a little bit more of their process versus having my preconceived notions of like, oh, like, yeah, paintings, like they probably did this, this, and this. Um, and seeing her like quilt everything like a very vibrant painting and having similar colors to her work, I was like, this is super rad. Um, there is a pulse of energy from her work that inspires me to kind of carry out the same within mine. But I think she's super dope. I okay. think her work is super dope. Amazing. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask if you were not working as an artist, what's another career that you would like to have had? Um, I would have loved um, to work as like a chief of staff for someone in a political kind of place. I okay. think I have a really good, I feel like manipulative is the wrong word. <laughs> um, I am very good at persuading people to go one way versus the other um, for the better good of the world. Um, so I think that chief of staff. Wonderful. Very right. cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right, and then the bookstore owner in me always wants to know, what is the one book that kind of speaks to you the most? There is a book that I read a long time ago, and I unfortunately don't remember the name of it, but it's about a djinn, a fairy, and a changeling, mm -hmm. and it kind of tells their story throughout time, like them as kids, but then what happens to them as adults mm -hmm. and letting go of like childhood notions and facing the harsh reality of some things and living with um, the choices that you've made okay. throughout okay. life. But it's fantasy, but also touches on a lot of really real things that you go through growing up. Okay. Cool. Well, good. if you think of the title later, we can always stick that in. I'm going to do notes. research. You're gonna I, was like, I was like, I'll, watch this. I'll look it up too. Yeah. I was like, a little project. I was like, I really want to reread that book. Yeah, yeah. well, now I'm like, I want to read that book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And we will post your Instagram and a link to your website in our show notes. Yes. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Here are some fun, arty events happening around town this week. Thursday, August 25th from 6 to 9 p.m., Hospice Savannah is having its Summer Nights Shine Silent Auction at Soho South. Also, Thursday, August 25th at 6 p.m., there's a reception at the Jepson Museum. Convergence is a hashtag Art 912 exhibition of more than 40 works from their permanent collection from recent or current Savannah-based artists. Saturday, August 27th, from 2 to 3 p.m., there's an artist talk at Sulphur Studio. Uh, you can meet artist resident Gabrielle Torres and learn about how you can contribute to her giant fabric loom painting. Um, through August 27th, there's a duo exhibition at Sulphur Studios called Entanglements. It's by Matt Toole and Ruth Sykes. Now through Friday, September 16th, there's a group exhibition at SCAD's Gutstein Gallery called Supernatural. It's a juried exhibition of work by SCAD students, alumni, faculty, and staff. Supernatural delves into all things otherworldly, reflecting a renewed interest in spirituality and the occult on the part of contemporary artists. Through September 30th, there's a mobile arts gallery at the WW Law Library. It is an art show called Past Presence, commemorating Juneteenth. There's more information on the Sulphur Studios website. Every Wednesday from 5 to 8 p.m. at Super Bloom, they have free watercolor supplies so you can paint while you have wine. And throughout the summer at Location Gallery, there's a show featuring Jennifer Nolan's Paintings of Animals. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.